Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's dream of four beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind, and he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until the wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up, and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked most imposing, and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. 
the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, time and a half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Superb. Wow. What a, what a chapter in the Bible, eh? Who would like to preach tonight? Anyone, eh? <laughs> Golly, gumdrops. You know, I love that last verse in that passage. It says, And I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts. My face turned pale. And I kept this matter to myself. The guy was freaked out, right? He was absolutely, he was, whoa, freaky. He was well freaked out. That's how I feel a little bit tonight, tackling the subject. But this, I mean, Daniel chapter 7, it is just so packed with uh, prophetic information. And it's like, up till now, Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6, it's been historic events in Daniel's life and great happenings and we've enjoyed going through them but chapter 7 it kind of zooms back in it goes back a number of years in Daniel's life to a dream that he had while Belshazzar was king and in this dream a number of things are going on we've, we hear about the four beasts coming out of the, the ocean and we think what was that and uh, we, we also have this picture of God in his throne room and then we have this picture of the son of man coming in the clouds and then it ends with talking about us, the saints, how we're going to possess a kingdom. It's a powerful, imagery-packed passage, and uh, it's an awesome thing to, to tackle. Next week, we're going to tackle chapter 8. So that's the end of the sermon. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs> next week, we're going to tackle chapter 8. And chapter 8, as I've been looking into chapter 8, come next week, don't miss it. It is it's full of so much detailed, accurate, historical information. I find chapter 8 one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is actually the Word of God. It's so accurate if you compare the prophetic dream to history. Incredibly accurate to very much great detail. I'll go into that next week. But this week, okay, here's this vision of heaven. Albert Einstein dies one day and goes to heaven. And there the Apostle Peter meets him at the pearly gates and said, you look like Einstein but you've no idea what lengths people go to to try and get into heaven, so I need you to have proof of who you actually are. Can you prove to me your true identity? So Einstein said, hey, have you got a, a bit of chalk and a chalkboard? So Peter went, and it appeared. This is not in the Bible, right? So, and, and he got this 
bit of chalk on a chalkboard, and he started writing all these equations and mathematical formulas and symbols and all this stuff, right, that, that I could understand. I don't have time to explain it to you, but he, he did it. He just did all this stuff, right? And Peter went, hey, you're the real Albert Einstein. Welcome to heaven. And he went on. And, and then Picasso came along, and Peter said to him, are you, are you really Picasso? Uh, you have to prove that you're really Picasso. And he says, yes, yeah, sure, I'm Picasso. Do you mind if you use this chalkboard? And he said, go on, go on. So he wiped off all the formula and stuff, and he got the bit of chalk, and he did an incredible, just with a few strokes, he produced this beautiful picture. And Peter went, you are Picasso, welcome to heaven. So Picasso went on in. Then George Bush came along. (laughs) George Bush came along, and uh, Peter said, well, can you prove you're George Bush? Einstein and Picasso were both managed to prove their identity, but can you prove who you are? And he said, who are Einstein and Picasso? <laughs> he said, welcome in, George Bush. <laughs> now, apologies to any Americans here. I, 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 I do absolutely, I think George Bush is a cool guy, and uh, I love Americans, okay? So. I just had to find a joke about heaven, okay? So, so Daniel has this glimpse into heaven. He has this glimpse into a totally different worlds and the the vision starts with him seeing these four beasts coming out of the ocean and it's of the Mediterranean Sea and the first beast each beast represents a kingdom and if you remember back to Daniel chapter 2 he had this vision of a big statue and each part of the statue represented a kingdom well this 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 vision parallels exactly with Daniel chapter 2 it's talking about the same four kingdoms the first kingdom is the kingdom that was, we read about in Daniel chapter 1. It's the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire was the world's superpower at the time. They overran nations. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the guy with the cool name, he was the king. And they ruled and they were dominating. And this was the world's superpower in that time. If you were around in those days, everyone would have heard of Babylon. And Babylon would have been ruling probably your kingdom that you lived in. Your nation would be paying taxes to them. That was the way it was. And then that was the the beast that he described as the lion. And then the second beast emerged, and it was like this bear. And this represented the Medo-Persian Empire. And it it emerged also. And what we find historically, you look back in your history books, that this actually happened. The Medo-Persians, they overran the kingdom, and they took over the world's superpower place, knocked the Babylonians out of the action. And we remember that from previous sessions on Daniel. And that represented the bear. And then there was this leopard-type creature, and it represented uh, the third empire, the Greek empire, and Alexander the Great. And how they, they, they swept in, destroyed the Medo-Persian empire, and overruled and were this huge, dominating world superpower. And then finally, there was this fourth kingdom, and this, this kingdom particularly troubled Daniel. It is this beast that he couldn't describe like any other animal, and he it said it's got it, iron teeth and ten horns and and this correlates to the feet in the Daniel chapter 2 vision with the ten toes we see this is representing the Roman Empire this fourth world superpower that would dominate the known world at that time in this Daniel asks for a bit more information and and the angel does give Daniel more information in this dream and he talks about how there was going to be a one horn that would stand out particularly dominantly and would be, speak boastful words. And if you go right back in your history books to the Roman Empire, you see certain Caesars standing out from the crowds and even th- demanding people would worship them. And so we have the early church after Jesus' resurrection. 
they faced a huge challenge, and it was emperor worship, because the Roman Empire was trying to impose emperor worship on everyone that they ruled over. They insist that you must worship Caesar as a god, especially this Emperor Nero, who was duality crazy. The Christians, this was a massive dilemma for them way back in the early church. So we see this as historic, and we see the Bible is accurately historically predicting what was about to happen. As I say, next week we'll go into more detail about the incredible accuracy of the historic prophecy, especially in Daniel chapter 8. But let me just move on to the important bit. Because kingdoms come and go. The Bible certainly indicates that God's is sovereign. And God's, while he doesn't condone the actions of human beings or world superpowers, God certainly is in control. And God somehow or another is involved in this process. But then it goes from all these images of horrible beasts and so on and kingdoms and worlds of birth to all of a sudden heaven. This picture of the throne room of God. And it describes it in verses 9 to 10. As I looked, thrones were set in the ancient of days. What a great description of God. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million, stood before him. That's a big crowd. The court was seated and the books were open. Here, Daniel has this glimpse into the very throne room of God. I guess you could ask, why wouldn't it be great to see into the throne room of God. Well, you know what, folks? You're going to go one further. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Every day, 5,471, in fact, every hour, 5,471 people arrive there. That's how many people die every hour. Every one of us will be in this picture. And it won't be some vivid description trying to describe the reality, the full reality will be there in front of us. There is a throne. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, the man is destined to die once and then to face judgment. This thing called death, I mean, we don't like talking about death, but sometimes it's actually very helpful and very appropriate too. It's sometimes the best preparation you can have to face life. This thing called death is actually separation. When we're talking about death, we're talking about separation. Like when someone dies physically, their spirit is removed from the body. I don't know if you've been with someone who's passed away, but when you're with them, you know what? They're not there anymore. It looks like they are. Physically, they're there. They look like they did a moment before, but you know what? They're absolutely not there. They're not there. They do exist, but they ain't there. This thing called death is separation. It's, it's separation of your body and your spirit. You know, we, we also, in the Bible, it, reve- it talks about spiritual death, and that's even more tragic. That's when, spiritually, a person is separated from God. Yeah, that's the worst of the worst. That is absolute death. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you're not connecting with God, if your life is not in relationship with the God who made you, then whatever happens, please, please, Consider where you stand with him. 
I want you to consider your relationship with him. And tonight, you can absolutely reconnect with him and walk with him forever. That's the best. Separation, this is, this is what the Bible talking about. It's a, it's a death. In that moment, it's a very dramatic moment. It's every, a moment everyone will face. People have described that moment in different ways. Queen, Queen Elizabeth uh, the first Queen of England, said this. At, at, at the point of death, she said, all my possessions for a one moment in time. <laughs> all of a sudden, everything took on a whole different meaning. I like this one. This was a guy, John Sedgwick, killed in battle during the U.S. Civil War. He was a general. This is his dying words. He says, they couldn't an e- hit an elephant from this dis... <laughs> I thought it was quite good. Anyway, Proverbs chapter 14. Back to the Bible. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 32. It says this, listen. When calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Wow. Even in death, the righteous have a refuge. So what is your refuge in death? What is your refuge in death? You know, what is your security blanket in that moment, which all of us will absolutely face? John Bacon, the famous uh, sculptor, left this inscription on his tomb in Westminster Abbey. He said that what I was as an artist seems of some importance to me when I lived, but what I was as a true believer in Jesus Christ is the only thing of importance to me now. And there's something about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You live with him, you die with him. It's the best. You live without him. Tragically, you will die and live forever without him. Excuse me. <laughs> Anna, Anna Mika, she, she's, Anna Mika's part of the Destiny Church in Glasgow. Anna Mika, precious lass, she works in a hospice. And I was chatting to her a couple of weeks ago about her work in the hospice. You know, just asking her, you know, how is it? And every day you must see people pass away. And what does that feel like? And how do you work with that in terms of your Christian faith? And you know what she said? She, she, her own words, were t- she's talking about the stark contrast between a believer dying and someone who's not a believer dying. She said, it's enough to make you want to be a believer. The contrast is stark. Listen, folks, let's just talk honestly here tonight. There's no point in avoiding these issues. She, she was saying that many times people start getting glimpses into the world ahead. At that point of that transition, there are many, many people who start to see things that some believers would say, I see him. <laughs> I see him. And she's saying, when you're, when you're with the believers, they're dying. There's a peace. There's a, there's a serenity. There's a dignity. But she's saying she's also been with unbelievers as they're dying, and there's a panic. Sometimes there's a gripping of the hands. One guy was saying, that, you know, every night I see dark figures at the bottom of my bed. I think, well, why don't you get converted, mate? This is, I'm serious. I'm not making this up to, for effect. This is the realities of death. And the reality, listen, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that's not just you've picked a religion. That is absolutely, you have changed completely. You've connected with the God in heaven and things are fundamentally, spiritually, you have become alive. Something has changed. You have a refuge in this horrendous thing that we're all going to face called death. Here's your conviction, folks. Here's what you can, here's the assurance you can have. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus speaking, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 
Wow. Now, I don't know how that works, but that sounds good, right? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, you plug yourself into me, you're going to get through the biggest ordeal of your life. You're going to get through it, and you're going to come out the other side and it's shiny. You see, Jesus, this Jesus Christ, he died for you on the cross. He paid the price for all your sin. That sin that would have taken you to hell, he paid the price for it. He went through hell for you, right? This is the good news. He took it himself so that you wouldn't need to take it. And then at the end of it, three days later, he rose again so that you can be assured that when you die, you again can come into a newness of life and a relationship eternally with the God who made you. Jesus died and rose again. He said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, right? I'm not saying, yeah, yeah, he's there. No, no. I'm saying you believe in him absolutely. You're just saying, Lord, I'm putting my whole trust in you. My eternal life, I totally trust with you. I place my life into your hands. I'm yours. That kind of believing. You know what? The Bible says you will not perish. You will have eternal life. So this vision that, that Daniel has, we're going to go one better. We're going to be there. Every one of us, we're going to see his face. So I want to encourage us to live today in the light of eternity. That's the challenge. That's what I get from this passage. The beasts and all that don't do it for me, right? The bit I get out of this passage is there's a throne in heaven. One day I'm going to have to stand there. So how am I going to live today? There's some practical application. How am I going to live today? Someone once said that there is only one life and it will soon be passed. And only what is done for Christ will last. You see, many people like a computer. You fill your life with uh, junk. You've got temp files. Aaron will get this. Anyone know what temp files are? Okay, two people. (laughs) (laughs) For the benefit of tonight's geeks, temp files, it's just a buildup of garbage in your computer. You've got a constant buildup of garbage in your computer and you don't clear it out regularly. You know what's going to happen? You're living for temp. It's, you know what's going to happen is your hard drive starts running down. Everything starts going slower. You're not living fully. Stop living for temporary things. Stop letting your agenda be down here. Start letting your agenda be motivated by this. Start letting that influence how you live here. Start letting what he thinks about life influence how you live life. Start letting what he thinks about people around you motivate how you love people to bits and do everything you can to benefit their lives. Start allowing uh, this faith you have in him to influence your life and everyday living and the way you are with your family, the way you are with your friends. We've got to allow this throne to be the motivator in our todays and uh, that will keep us on track. I, I said, I don't know who heard me a couple of weeks ago. I was on holiday. I just got back a couple of weeks ago and one of the tragics news I heard on holiday was my friend from America phoned me. I'd grown up in Glasgow. A bunch of us were all mates in our teenage years and uh, there was myself, Brian, Robbie, Malcolm and Leith. We all got on great. All of us at some point during our teenage years had made a commitment to Jesus, follow him. And uh, this, I mean, this totally changed our lives. We were just lads, but God changed us dramatically. We stayed lads, okay? We just had a purpose, lads on a purpose. Tragically, Robbie, one of those lads, uh, died a couple of weeks ago. He'd got a pilot's license. He'd bought a plane and he'd crashed. The person who was with him both instantly killed. Now, the, the challenge was this, that he had, he'd gone off track completely. 
Now, I heard that a couple of weeks before his crash, he'd got his life back together again. He'd started going back to church. But since we were teenagers, he'd moved away from home down to Bristol. He started just living his own way, doing his own thing and going out drinking, chasing the girls, living it up, so he thought, but without God. There was an emptiness there that I hadn't seen in his life when I knew him before. You know, when he was younger, he was off to Africa and working with street kids and his faith was motivating his life, but now he was just living for self and there's nothing duller than that. And so I was challenging him this. In January, we all caught up, we had a Chinese meal and I was challenging him, come on, man, get a grip. You're gonna have to stand before God. You gotta walk with him. You know better than to live this way. It's temporary. It's not gonna, you think you're happy, you're not happy. Get your life together, follow Jesus again. And it's really challenging him, as a friend probably should. Thankfully, I heard his mum had also challenged him in the last couple of weeks of his life. He'd start going back to church. Life is like that, you know, it's short. Just, just live today in the light of tomorrow. You're only, you're only guaranteed of now. So do something in your now that will affect tomorrow. It's so, so crucial that we live with this awareness. Uh, people say, well, Peter, what I'll do is, right, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out when I'm about to die, Okay. And just before I die, that prayer you pray every Sunday, like, God, forgive me my sins, I'll turn my life over to you, blah, 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 Jesus, make you Lord, amen. I'll pray that prayer, and then I'll die. Then I'll go to heaven, yeah? And I can do whatever the hell I want until then, yeah? Hey, cool. That might be an option for you. I really hope it is, but you know it might not be. Listen to this. You know this thing we call repentance? It means turning your life around. Yes, a choice you've got, Repentance. You're living your own way, doing my own thing, sin, all that. Then God gets a hold of your life. Hey, sunshine. And you know, all right, God, sorry. I repent. I, that's inexcusable. Jesus, you died to forgive me for all that. So I'm, I'm leaving that now. Please forgive me. And I'm going to follow you now. Come on. That's repentance. It's, it's leaving your old way and living for him. You know this thing called repentance? It's actually a gift, right? Yes, it's a choice, but it's also a gift. It says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25, gently instructs in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. That God will grant them repentance. When I was 15, it was like a doorway opens. I had an opportunity there to escape the life that I was living in, right? And it wasn't like I was at a point of crisis. I was in a lane at the back of my house, but I was simply faced with a challenge. Am I going to live for Jesus or am I going to keep going the way I am living for myself? That's my choice. But do you know what? In that moment, that choice was more real than it ever had been at any other time in my life. It's like God had given me this gift of repentance. He'd given me the opportunity, like a doorway, an opening. Now's your moment. If I didn't make that choice, none of you would be sitting here tonight. This building would have been sold to a housing developer. This church would never have started. I would have been heading to hell. I probably wouldn't have a wonderful wife and two beautiful kids. I was a loser. I was a nobody. But by the grace of God, I changed. He gave me an opening. Now you've got an opening. It's called an opportunity to repent. Now you cannot, you, you, you might think, well, I'll be in the frame of mind to do that just before I die. You're not sure, you can't be sure of that. You cannot be sure of that. It's a gift from God. He's a merciful God. He totally is. Boy, he's merciful. And he's going to give you every chance you can get. But I know tonight's a chance. So I want to encourage us to live with a sober awareness. So there's a throne. But there's also books in heaven. We read earlier in verse 10 of chapter 7. The court 
was seated and the books were opened. There are books in heaven. Yeah, some of you bookworms. Ooh, not like, it's not those kind of books, all right? Sorry, don't know if God will let you read these ones. Well, here's one of the books, Psalm 139, verses 15 to 16. My frame was not, this is talking about when you were in your mother's womb, when you were being created by God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's got a book with a plan for your life. Oh, I wish I could see that plan. It made counseling so much easier. I just do that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but that would be boring. And uh, so God's given this dynamic, this free will, this ability to choose, this risk of getting it wrong. Ooh, yeah, makes it life exciting. But God has a plan. And I have to tell you, it's a brilliant plan. It is an incredible plan for your life, right? It's stunning. So just get on track with it if best you can. So God's got a plan. It's in his book. There's another book in Revelation 20, verse 15. It describes this book, and it's the book of life. It says that if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there's one serious incentive to get your name in the book of life. That book is a real book. It absolutely exists. And the, the Bible refers to it on a number of occasions. The book of life makes reference to people, you know, we said earlier, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, I reckon when you accept Jesus Christ, he took your sin, he gives you his forgiveness and new life. He took your hell, he gives you his heaven. You accept that one day. It might be in the service, it might be 10 years ago, it might be next week. But the moment you accept that, a pen comes out and your name is written in heaven itself, sealed eternally. It's there. There ain't no tipex up there. It's done. The name is down. Whew. I tell you, if you want your name written anywhere, right, that's where you want your name written. That's where you want your name written. The book of life. And then this, this picture unfolds and he's seen this throne and he's seen this, the books are open and the, the throne is there and the judgment of God. And then Jesus is revealed as the king of kings. Daniel 7 verses 13 to 14. Daniel saying, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence he was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and it will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow, what a picture of Jesus. This Jesus, this one that they all rejected because he wasn't the kind of warrior king that they expected, he's the one that God chose to be king. He died, he rose again, and here he comes into the throne room of God and is the one with all dominion, all power and all authority, King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of your worship and worthy of your praise according to the Bible. Jesus at the end of his life before his crucifixion was quizzed by the, you remember he stood before Pilate and stood before the, the high priests and his accusers and they, they couldn't find anything they could accuse him of. He wasn't a sinner. They could not find anything that was worthy of guilt in this man, Jesus Christ. And as they quizzed him, and as they said, well, come on, who are you? Tell us who you are. They were trying to get him to trip up in his words, but they couldn't make him falter. And then as they were questioning him, the high priest just brought, cut to the chase and he said, then the high priest, and this is Matthew 26, verses 62, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? 
What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This same Jesus is the Jesus that Daniel was seeing in this dream. Jesus Christ will return one day and everyone will see it. It won't, be, it won't be like he's born on a manger and, you know, he'll be a carpenter and you'll wonder, are you... Uh, no, no, he's going to... Clouds of heaven, right? He's going to put his hammers and nails down. This is, this is going to be crystal clear. Everyone's going to see. King of kings and Lord of lords coming on the clouds of heaven. Be ready for that moment. You see, they crucified Jesus under the accusation of blasphemy. Apparently, Roman secular Roman records will show that Jesus was put to death for blasphemy. So it is undoubted that he was put to death. And it is undoubted that he did claim these things. Some people say, well, Jesus was just a good man. Well, could a good man have claimed such stuff if he was lying? That would make him not a good man. He did claim divinity. Okay, that was very clear. Otherwise, they, uh, they wouldn't have put him to death for blasphemy. That was the only charge. That was the only charge they could bring against him. So you cannot stay neutral with this Jesus thing. You can't just be a good man. He's either the Lord who you've got to worship and serve or a liar. They're right now the middle ground. And this Jesus is the one who will return. And then in Daniel we see our destination is revealed. So we've, we've looked at the beasts, the crazy things that happened and the, the representing the kingdoms. Then we looked at the throne of God and the throne and the books. But now we, we see Jesus and then we now see us. And it says in verse 27 of Daniel 7, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms of, under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. In your translation, you might not have the holy people. You might have a different word in there. You might have the word saint. All right? Anyone got that in their Bible? The word saint? Okay. You know, saint, it literally means holy one or holy people. Now, up till now, we've all thought the saints. So there's Saint Peter and Saint Hilda, all right? some island somewhere, <laughs> and uh, St. Columbus, and I'm sure Mother Teresa will become a saint. Uh, right, so we've got all these lists of saints. But you know, our list is incredibly limited. When God refers to saint, he's talking about something completely different than what this word saint has come to mean in religious circles. Okay? This word saint is kind of given to those who live pious lives and did great things. And they're great people, yeah? Not taken away from them. But when the Bible uses the word saints... It's far, far wider. You see, our definition of saint religiously has been, okay, people have, who have earned certain moral levels that they should be called a saint. You know, they've done certain things. They've, they've proven themselves through a great life that, you know what, man, saints. But when the Bible talks about saints, it's a title given. Not a title earned, a title given. And you know when the Bible talks about saints, it's talking about you. Saint Kieran. Saint Nancy. Saint Reg. I like that one. Saint Ed. That's a classic, man. Saint Ed. The patron saint of Irish journalists. <laughs> Mine's not original, Saint Peter. 
We are all saints. Say hi, saint. Say, turn to your neighbor and say hi, saint. You know, I mean, that, that, that just, I hope that changes your perception of yourself. You're up there with Mother Teresa, mate. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved of God's call to be, we all, same song sheet here, to all in Rome who are loved of God and called to be saints, called to be saints, called to be, not you've earned it, it's, it's a calling. It's something that's just been given to you. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's called a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's called a prize. When a person receives an appropriate recognition for long service or high achievements, that's called an award. But when a person's not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that's a good picture of God's grace. You see, God in his grace blesses us and calls us saints, holy ones. I look at my life, I don't think I'm a holy one, right? Any, any of you thought today, oh, I'm so holy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about me here, because I know you're not sitting there judging me. I'm thinking about yourself, right? You look in the mirror this morning and say, oh, I'm looking holy today. Uh, it just doesn't fit, does it? It just doesn't fit, because we know ourselves too well. Holy? What? Well, Tough tough. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. It's a done deal. He sorted it out for you, okay? An exchange took place. You're righteous because he took your sin. You've become holy. God's just given it to you. It's a gift. Isn't this great? See, we don't earn heaven. He earned it for us. We don't earn right standing before God. We're forgiven. We've inherited a position in God. It's incredible. This is good news. And as a result of what Jesus has done, we have a different perspective in life. The Bible says in, in Daniel that the kingdoms that are in this whole earth will be given over to the saints. You know what your destination is? You know what your future is? Your future is planet earth. As God's people, we are being prepared to rule. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament that we reign with Christ in Christ Jesus. We're, we're here to reign in life through Christ Jesus. The Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've, we've attained to a position. So if you're seated with Christ in heavenly places as a believer, then where are your problems? If you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, where are your problems? They're down there. They're on earth. They're under your feet, right? You ain't under the circumstances, okay? You're well over them. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You see, you've become a new believer. You've become a new person in Christ. You've connected with God. And at the end of time, you know how God's going to sum it all up? I believe the human race was always designed to rule on planet earth. That's how it was at the beginning. God created Adam and Eve. He told them to go fill the earth and subdue it. He said, go on, fill this earth with people made in my image. And God's plan and intention right at the end of time is to bring it right back around to the way it was at the beginning. That God's people, reflecting his likeness, will rule and live in planet earth and we uh, will inherit the kingdoms of our earth. This is our future. And how we live on earth will make a massive difference 
on the effects that it's going to have in our eternity. It's interesting. Many people think, well, die and go to heaven forever. Sometimes I say that. But actually, I think we're going to have a lot to do on earth forever. We promise eternal life. Life. And the Bible seems to indicate that that life will be on planet earth eternally. There's a thought. Well, Daniel said a great glimpse into a great picture. I've tried to somehow bring it to grounds. We're all going to face that throne room that Daniel faced. So let's live today in the light of eternity tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your throne, God, is there in in these moments that we're speaking. God, that's a reality. Although we're uh, we're not able to see it like Daniel saw it, that throne does exist. And God, you are firmly on your throne. And we worship you, God, as as the sovereign God of the universe. We worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, God, that you have dominion. Kingdoms will come and go. And that rulers will come and go. And this earth is going to go through seasons. It's going to go through hardships. And uh, we don't understand it all. But all we know is that there's a great God on the throne. And God, you're a God who's committed to human beings. You're a God who loves people with an incredible love. God, you're a God of justice. You're a God of grace. You're a God who deserves worship and adoration. And God, I pray, God, that each one of us in this room, God, that we will not wait till that moment before we acknowledge these things. But God, we will acknowledge in this time-space world the reality of an eternal God. And we will live in that reality every day. We will live, God, as your people, worshiping you, with whole hearts in this time-space world. God, thank you for this book of Daniel. Thank you, God, for the challenging things it throws up. Thank you for uh, the clarity with which you, you describe the future before it ever happens. Thank you for that great evidence that the Bible is indeed God-inspired, Scripture, Word of God. God, we bow before you today, God. We acknowledge you as a sovereign. We honor you, God. Okay, while we're praying, if you're here today and you want to make this commitment to God, knowing that one day you're going to have to stand before him, knowing that Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago, he paid the price for your sin, three days later he rose again, Bible says he's alive, he's king, he rules, and by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, he's here right now. And the challenge is this. Are you willing to stop living for you and start living for him? Not to just to become religious, not just to turn up on Sundays at church, but stop living for you and start living for him. Are you willing to put your faith in him wholeheartedly? And it's not that you're not going to make mistakes because you will make mistakes, but you've just made a decision that from here on in, I'm going to pick myself up and get going again. That's the challenge. And if you're willing to rise to that challenge tonight, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to give you an opportunity. So if you're willing to make that commitment to serve this great God, then I invite you to pray with me just now. Very simply, it's a prayer of commitment, acknowledging Jesus' death and resurrection, and making a choice, I'm going to follow you from now on. You might not understand it all, you just know in your heart of hearts that I must make this commitment to God. And this commitment must have implications in the way I live from here on in. 
So that's you tonight. I'm going to pray and I invite you to repeat it after me, this prayer. Not out loud, just under your breath, between you and God. Pray like this. Dear Lord God, I believe you are on your throne in heaven. You rule supreme. God, one day I know I will stand before you. But before that moment, God, while I still have breath in my lungs, I come before your throne just now. And Lord, I thank you for loving me so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die in that cruel cross to pay the price for my sin. And God, I know I've got lots of sin. I ask you to forgive me now and to cleanse me completely. Jesus, I believe that three days after dying, you rose again. And I commit myself from this day forward to not live for myself, but to live for you, King Jesus. I make you Lord of my life. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Thank you. Because I believe in you. I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If anyone prayed that prayer, I would love the opportunity to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. While everyone else's eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, just to indicate it to me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to get you to stand or call you to the front. just going to ask you very simply where you're sitting. If you prayed that prayer, can you let me know you prayed it just by raising your hand, and I'll pray for you. Anyone like that this evening, I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer, I'll wait for a moment. Just slip it up and then put it back down again and I'll pray for you. Thanks, man. Anyone else? You prayed the prayer. Thanks. Anyone else? You made that commitment there. Just let me know you did that. Just put your hand up. I'll pray for you. God, I pray for these two wonderful people. God, tonight, they have made a very simple decision, but it's a profound decision. And they are just simply deciding that one day I'm going to stand before God, but today was my defining moment. Today, I made a choice that I'm going to live, between now and that moment, living for you, God. Thank you, God, for hearing their prayer. Thank you for forgiving them their sin. Thank you for accepting them tonight. Thank you, God. Tonight, they have put themselves right with you. Now, God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, help them to live this day for you. And from now on, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.